No, I can only hear your voice. Beautiful. And it perfect. is And it is beautiful. <laughs> it, it, it's like I have a perfect, just you and me in a tunnel. Just That's right. You and us in a little podcast tunnel with our little fancy mics. Mm-hmm. My fancy Shure and my, you're probably a... It's a Yeti Blue. Okay. It's a little Yeti Blue. Is there, is it just audio? Is that correct? Yes. Because I'm in my garage. I will let people know that you're in your garage, though. Okay. They cool. can picture it in their heads. Nice. Welcome to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast, and it's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. My name is Jeff, and uh, the voice that you're hearing is the from none other than Chris Bathgate. Hey, Chris, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm a little tired. I, I think you, we probably both are. It's the end of the day. We, we, yes. we should just let people know, give, give them some realism. We're recording late in the afternoon on a weekday, <laughs> so we might be sleepy, but we are... N- nevertheless, we're really much, very much looking forward to you playing a show here at the library. We're so jazzed for that. Thank you. Oh, so are we. We can't wait. How's everything been going? You, now, you and I catch up often because I sometimes freelance as a music journalist and we, we have opportunities to have long catch-ups. But can you fill in any folks listening who may or may not be aware that you released an album Hmm, 13 months ago, maybe, called The Significance of Peaches. Can you just That's correct. fill us in on your, your little recent history for the listeners at home, Chris? Yes, I released an, a record called The Significance of Peaches, and we've been working on various ensembles to represent that music live. And that album, is its sound is centered on a antique parlor organ, also known as a pump organ. It's a foot-powered organ. Um, and we've been kind of working through, you know, the 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 struggles and the joys of representing an album with a fickle antique falling apart dusty instrument um and carting it all over the state and having a great time doing it uh, i am so you know you say struggles and you say joys but i am so glad that you did do it because i can reveal to you now that when i you know when we first talked about this album and i heard about how you'd made it in my back of my head, I was thinking, oh, he's probably just going to do something differently when he brings it out live. He's probably not going to bother. But you did it, Chris. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it's squirrely. We'll say that much. <laughs> struggles struggles, and joys. Uh, yeah, to tell folks at home the inspiration around making an entire album centered around that instrument. And maybe I'll tease something in here and, and let folks know. If you're a longtime Chris Bathgate fan, or if you've heard of Chris Bathgate from years prior, sometimes your name is in conjuncture with the, you know, the late 2000s folk scene of the Ann Arbor music scene. But if you, if you go back to Chris's stuff like Dizzy Seas, which was in 2017, you see that Chris is getting more into what you would call ambient. And what I have connected to you with the organ is it's, it's a beautiful droning quality. Can you talk about that? Can you? Yeah, Dizzy Seas, let me, let me wedge even more in here. Dizzy Seas, it, that's like kind of a psychedelic record. And this is like psychedelic, but also uh, 
also has an, oh, I don't even know. I don't even, again, it's 4.30 in the afternoon. Folks, Chris, take it over. <laughs> that's that's a great connection yeah. that you've made that not a lot of people, I think, really consider. It's rare to have people really consider your work in the breadth of your career. So that's lovely. Thank you. Oh, it's awesome to, to like make the connection. Yeah, Dizzy Seas was totally like a long-tailed comet, ambient, washed out, um, sort of drony, but yeah. like really ethereal and... Um, well, difficult to place. Yeah, there's uh, something about Dizzy Seas feels fe- futuristic, and this feels old world because Dizzy mm. Seas and part of that part of that is influential because of the album art. So mm-hmm. shout out to the album art; it feels futuristic. But then the pump organ feels like it's tied back to you know the past in this way. So they're they're both beautiful in their own way. Anyway, sorry, I won't interrupt anymore, folks. No, that's, I mean, yeah, there's a drone. The drone is like, has left the realm of the heavy pedaled electric guitar and is like gone back to the creaky ship or the, um, you know, the, the like dimly lit tavern or whatever. Whale oil lamp. Yeah, it's that has that vibe. The, or, the organs from like early 1900s, 19, somewhere between 1901 and 1917. I have yeah. some that are older. Dizzy seizes Blade Runner and this is Moby Dick. Exactly. Perfect. That's exactly what's going on. So if you have, you know, if you like drones, but you also like archaic, squirrely, wood, wooden, off-grid instruments, this is, this is the record. This is the concert for you. And I also promise this is the last time I interrupt you, but uh, you say the phrase off the grid. You were traveling a lot within the last decade, and this organ, come, I'll tee this up for you, this organ comes into your life because you're traveling. You kind of, you literally discover it, don't you? It was um, a friend sent me a message that said, hey, there's there's this organ, you should go look at it. And I picked it up and I it, luckily it fit inside of a Saturn wagon. And it's been kicked around my house in Pickney for a little while. And then I, I up and moved to Grand Rapids into California and I had to cut the top off with like a <laughs> Sawzall to make it fit because I only had so much room in the van. So it's been, yeah, it's been a surprising number of places. Uh, it was made in Chicago. And it spent some time in in northern Michigan, and then it went to Grand Rapids, and then it went deep into the mountains of California in Mendocino County, like way up there, like to an old homestead that was started in like 1864. And then it went to Joshua Tree and was like pulled out in the desert and played, you know, while dune buggies and all these apocalyptic vehicles are driving around and guns are going off and people were freaking out. And then it spent some time in Portola in the sort of garden district of San Francisco. And then it spent the last bit of time in California on the top floor of a old temple in Chinatown. Um, and back and forth to various, you know, John Vanderslice's studio. And then I had to freight ship it back to Michigan because my <laughs> van that carried it out there was no more. So at least it wasn't with me anymore. So yeah, it's been around. It's a well-traveled instrument. It's, yeah. it's been around There's and some- it's still ticking. That's great. There's something yes. po- there's something powerful about that. I think that we're, and this is not to take anything away from the organ, but we're, we're possibly ascribing a little more majesty to it because of its size, because it is itself imposing. But Absolutely. It gets me thinking about how every instrument has its own little adventure like that. You, you probably have some, well, This is true. You know? So shout out to the guitars who have also been on journeys like that too. 
Oh yeah, and, more, and there's I'm sure there's other instruments that have been on much wilder rides than my pump organ. But I think it's an underdog. Yeah. Would expect it to rattling in the back end and you know and still be playable, but it is pitchy but playable. Oh yeah. Uh, and so talk about uh, tell folks at home about the creative process for this record. And one thing that I find distinct about it is that. Every single song starts, well, I don't know, I, based on the last time I listened, I can't remember, I, I got to replay it again, but I think every single song starts with the organ. The organ speaks first. Uh, you know, there's lots of other instruments on the record, but it's always that, that drone opens the curtain for every song, which was so cool, I thought. Absolutely. That's, that was part of the system of limitations you know i set some rules for myself and that was one which is like in hindsight i don't regret i could you know see people hemming and hawing and being like you know like going through the album pushing the button the forward button to try to you know on their ipod or even you know maybe if they're on their vinyl like skipping and being like which one is this which one is this you know which okay was it an f drone or a c drone well, which the song i want to hear which one but I, I love it. it yeah. yeah, because it opens the curtain and sets the stage. There is no other stage than the organ on the record. It's it's what every song was written on and for and with. I've, I've tried to play these songs with other instruments and it just doesn't feel right. So yeah, in a way, I'm sort of bound to it. It's like... Uh, it has to be it has to be there it must be the organ it must be a organ mm -hmm. though mostly it's the organ mm -hmm. that um you're hearing the organ live that the record was made on so and now that you're a year out from it even more so because lots of these songs i have to imagine have been written oh years wow. before right finished on the day of or also you know every combination but in this let me know how you feel but you this album kind of is this timestamp of a time of adventure, uh, a time mm. of a time of somewhat itinerant existence, uh, mm -hmm. and the release of it feels like the end of one chapter, the start of a new chapter, because I associate it with more or less Chris kind of. I don't even know if this is a dirty word for you, resettling or settling back down to Michigan. Chris back in Michigan, he had his California Odyssey. Back in Michigan now, he's got his family. This album is out, and this album represents that. And now it's a new chapter. That's right. It's like the boomerang. Yeah. It's like the boo. It's like the boomerang record of me. Yeah, whipping out to the West Coast and then landing back. The song of significance of Peaches references talking about moving away because I didn't think I was coming back. And then I, the last thing I did, literally in California, was like walk out of the studio with my tapes, with my reels. You know. I, I like left the studio and like a day later mm -hmm. <laughs> was on the California Zephyr <laughs> with like a suitcase full of huge, like 40 pound, two inch, you know, reel to reel tapes, you know, like on my way back home. Um, so, yeah, that's a great way to put it. And here's a vague overarching general question. Do you beyond just the organ? Uh, and perhaps this is more of a mindset question or a mental question or a philosophy question. Are there ways in which you approach songwriting now that are distinct from the ways you may have approached it, say, in 2007? Because I'm thinking of how reflective any songwriter is uh, or introspective, uh, even you or any songwriter, and how you probably 
are writing these songs in a moment of such like uh, profundity where you do think, oh, maybe I am never coming back to Michigan. And then making art about that feeling that you might not be coming back to Michigan. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's your future. And you just keep growing and who knows where you wind up next. I don't know. Love to hear about that. If you even think there's a question in there. <laughs> I think, the, um, am I writing from a specific place? Is that, this is the question really? I, I think yes. And I think maybe the Peaches record has made me more interested in working with systems of limitations than ever before. Like the, having that sort of rule, like a hard steadfast rule of like, okay, I'm going to write only for this organ makes me want to go even deeper into that and explore. Like I, this is going to sound totally absurd, but like I have, I've got Martin Gord sprouts in my backyard that I'm hoping will get big enough to make a banjo. And then maybe I can make a banjo and then maybe I can make, a bunch of songs on an instrument I made, right? <laughs> how much more, how much more me could it get? Right. You know, <laughs> you grow, you grow it, you know, no grant. If I was, you know, I don't have a cherry tree or a walnut tree on my property. I can like cut down and mill, but I could mill something, you know? So that system of limitations is like, I'm becoming more deeply and perhaps dangerously interested in it because that's a real long winded way to write a song sure, sure. <laughs> but but i'm interested in that in the idea of like the instrument as having power over the song and what other ways can i give the instrument power i've you know i've been playing my grandmother's resonator from i've been i've played old instruments i've played instruments that are close to my family i've played instruments that have that have some importance culturally with the, you know like Doug Coombe, I think, let me play one of Richard Buckner's guitars once, you know, or like somebody's loan, lend, lend, lent me something or writing on my Uncle Greg's ukulele or a dulcimer that he made. Like, that's close, but there's still, there's cracks in there I'm trying to explore that are related to the sort of experiment of the Peaches record. Chris Bathgate, you must now answer for minimalism. So I've had the word minimalism in my head and you're talking about, you know, growing a banjo and making an album centered around a banjo. Uh, I'm not going to hold you to that, but that would be awesome. Or making an album centered around an organ. And in my mind, I'm, I'm kind of mixing up, well, limitation also meaning minimalism, but in it, in its own way, you know, something like, uh, you know, Serpentine is minimalist because it's built around that piano hook. And I must think like, oh, Chris might, might appreciate minimalism and i'd love to hear if you do or not but it does seem like you also appreciate that added power because you're talking about the instruments that your family has owned there's got to be something magical uh maybe connected to it all i don't know what are your thoughts on that chris minimalism I, I, and magic. I love minimalism i love minimalism you know and my background with it uh, you know i'm just thinking about steve reich or yeah. um composers like that um maybe even Philip Glass, you know, and uh, there's, I don't know if John, John Cage is technically a minimalist, but th these are ideas. These are people that I'm, whose work I'm at least somewhat familiar with and interested in. I think I'm interested in minimalism, but maybe I'm more interested in space at certain points because I'm not afraid to make something lush. I sort of like it to be in the puzzle, like a puzzle like lushness, yeah. you know, sometimes that can be cacophonous and chaotic, but I like things to fit just so in a certain way that's, you know, this much out of tempo or this much out of tune or, mm -hmm. you know, 
and sometimes I leave room for what's the word I'm looking for emphaticness or or um, you know something that's something that's that's beyond you if that makes sense it doesn't come from you that has some kind of power but I love minimalism sure Um, something ineffable yes absolutely But yeah, speaking of this uh, hmm, era, I guess, because you were talking about, I, I was kind of trying to connect Significant of Peaches back to, to Dizzy Seas. I still remember this show I saw you perform somewhere in 2015 or 2016. And it had been some time since, I can't believe I'm nerding out with you on this, but it had been some time since Salt Year. Now, Salt Year feels like, you know, a connected cousin to Corktail Wake. But yeah. there's such a change from Salt Year to Dizzy Seas. It's like that the Chris you're hearing on Salt Year is not the Chris you're hearing on Dizzy Seas. But I think that just expands it to be any any record is a bit of a bit of a different new Chris, but also the same Chris at the same time. We're really psychoanalyzing you here. I'm so sorry. But I'd just love to hear maybe just a little bit more if we haven't if we haven't uh beaten the corktail whale to death if we haven't that that new that that shift from kind of less ambient chris to more ambient chris <laughs> going into dizzy seas between that and salt year i never really yeah. picked your brain there it's interesting the way that you put it because it makes that makes perfect sense to me and sounds totally accurate like i'm a creature of habit in the studio there's certain techniques or certain things I like to do. I love singing harmony with myself. I don't think I'll ever stop doing that. And I have, yeah, I, I think I'm realizing that I have my own studio pro- producerial dogma. Um, and I'm sort of exploring that too these days, but, but so much, it takes me so long to make a record, Jeff, you know, this it takes, it's like I crack jokes about it. It's sometimes it takes five years. Sometimes it takes six. Sometimes I start a record and then, like chip away at it and then seven years later it's done you know like it, it takes time so it makes sense that it's like oh it's 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 a little reminiscent of like going out in public and seeing someone i haven't seen for a long time and in a way it's good and in a way it's bad mm-hmm. because people be like oh 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 chris hey hey it's you you know and i'm like yes my i've my hair's almost totally white <laughs> i've either gained or lost weight depending on the season you know if it's like a high summer i'll be a lot trimmer and they'll be like oh wow hey man hey so i think it's interesting that you have that experience with the art too because it's that's so true i'm the same person but i'm also different yeah um, how can you and the music be? is no different yes how can i not be yeah. exactly this is the natural order of things it's 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 easy to be frozen i feel like when you make an album every five years people just assume that you're the same way or that your art is the same way it was five years ago and they they don't see all the little micro progressions or um you know even deteriorations or whatever it may be that you're interested in musically right so that makes that makes perfect sense 
I have artists and I will not name names who do make an album every year. And I, I have always found myself saying, oh, that, uh, you know, 2018 record sounds very similar to the 2017 record and kind of similar to the 2016 record. But the changes are too granular. They're too small to maybe notice. They're there. But, you know, when you do four or five, six years, then it's like, whoa, it's like, what? Who's this? Yeah. Who is this? Where is it going? Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more about just bringing the album to to life on the on the live stage, and maybe some shout outs for some of your players. Uh, I think is it Samantha Cooper on the, yeah the Samantha Cooper the incredible she, Samantha Cooper she, incredible. She's a lot of things. She's an she's an activist. She's incredibly organized. She's a superb singer. She's a great songwriter herself. She plays. Uh, I mean, her sh- her fiddle slash violin playing is like her tone is one of my favorites of all time. Yeah. Um, and she will be at the show at the Ferndale Library. This will be amazing. And Samantha's been sort of in the supporting cast for wow. Over for a decade and there's some magic i think that happens when you have when you've known players that long um and i've done my best to have samantha on every record i i put out or that i'm working on um so yes she will be there and she's a part of it's interesting you talk about minimalism because there is you know your songs they live in your head in some like black mist that's constantly moving that you can't quite see. you can see its general shape but you don't have any detail and then you make an, the record and that changes it and it becomes something new and then you have to represent those songs live so there's these sort of like different identities different masks of, that the songs put on and the mask that we're putting on now for the songs is like how what what is it like when it's like a power trio yeah and samantha's part of that power trio so you you really have to play around and experiment and you have to make decisions about what to represent and how and what's important and what's not important. And luckily, I mean, Samantha has played bass, guitar, drums, fiddle, has sings all the time. Um, So I have like a a really diverse set of sounds um, with a player like that. So that's really aids in this, in the, the work of representing something live. Oh, go ahead. She has an amazing mind for melody. I really think she's just incredible. So outstanding. And if you don't know her solo materials, a lot of it is unpublished. Um, she's. I produced a record for her that she's finishing up now, which was like years ago, and is actually bizarrely connected to the significance of peaches. I'm actually playing off some of her lyrics for a song that she has written. So when that song comes out, I'll be sure to be like, hey, if you know, I'm commenting on something that Samantha is singing about, but you haven't heard it yet because it's unpublished. Um, and I just happened to publish first, you know, we're, anyway, but you should check out her material. It's fantastic. And the other player that's going to be joining me is um, Graham Parsons, who is one of a kind, the lead singer of the go rounds, which were have a, had a change in lineup and sort of have a new life. Um, and Graham, there's. I think he's 15 
plus 15 plus 17 years, maybe something absurd like that. Like Graham and I have been playing music for a long, long, long time. There's, I feel like there's, it, you know, it may even be more than two decades. I feel like there's, there, I have photos of us playing music in 2003 or something absurd like that. What? But I'll have to check. But either way, Graham is another outstanding songwriter, incredible musician. He sings. He, he's one of the most powerful dynamic voices I've ever encountered in my entire life. If you've ever seen him live, you'll be like, who is that? What? You know, you'll be amazed, astonished. And he's much like Samantha has had a variety. He has a variety of talents on the trio. He's been playing only synthesizer. So this is a, this is another thing I'll just like a quick aside is there's no guitars happening really <laughs> right now in the Bathgate world. There's no guitars. I was guitar guy for a long time. I still am in private. Um, so he's been playing synthesizer, but he's played lap steel, auxiliary percussion. He's all manner of instruments, you know, he's clanged on the side of pieces of garbage for me. You know, he's, he's got it all. Yeah. So, and then uh, I, again, for folks at home, they might be, they'd love, they'd probably love to hear this. And at least I am right now, but could you, re, for me, re-explain or elaborate on the uh, origin or the idea behind the title significance of peaches? The significance of peaches, the great question. Um, I want to say it's, it's, it's a trope or a series of tropes or a series of a, a collection of metaphors that already exist in the world before I even opened my mouth or even open my mind, we'll say. So many cultures, so many poets, so many painters, graphic artists have used the peach as a metaphor for different things in their world. And this is actually where I'm probably borrowing from something that Matt Milia told me once. He had a poetry teacher that told him, you know, don't be afraid to make your own universe. Don't be afraid to make your own world. And... At some point, I started taking really uh, of moments that I encountered in mostly in poetry where someone was using a peach. And it started with Lee Young Lee's From Blossoms, which is a pretty famous um, poem. It's often recited at weddings. There are days we live as though death were not in the background. Um, just like a, a sort of beautiful, slightly, I mean, just because it's read at weddings doesn't mean it's not complicated. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Um, you should read that poem. I often rule, perhaps I'll read it uh, at the library. That's a great place to be reading a poem aloud, especially since it's connected. Um, and that's, that's really the first one that said, I have, I need to like investigate peaches. Like, you know, I'd also, I went to art school, so I had all these classes in classical painting and sort of symbolism, you know, that you'd see in classical paintings, you know, which were confusing to me as a young man. I was like, what, like, is this like a forgotten language in art? You know, be like, oh, well, there's a, you know, there's half an orange, which means X or this symbolizes this. I also took um, a course in Chinese painting and poetry, which is art, are absolutely linked Chinese painting and poetry. Um, and there was symbolism that they shared, you know, a, a single bird of this species, a, a bridge here, something, this in the foreground and this in the background will tell you something else. 
And I said, well, I'm going to do this for myself. <laughs> no one will understand it, but I'm going to do it for me. So that's when I started thematically writing about peaches and researching other peach poems and peach paintings and sort of the ways that people were using it. Um, and I decided to, you know, add my, add my peach metaphors into the world, into the hat of peach metaphors. And oddly enough, a good friend of mine, Heather Radke, I don't know. Um, and I've avoided, there's one I've avoided really, um, which is the emoticon emoji peach meaning, right? Yeah. Right. I'm not like, there's some, there's some songs that didn't make it to the final edit of the significant significance of peaches that were, that were like toying with that, you know? And then I was like, this is too crude. This is really like a, you know, that already exists. I can't add anything to that conversation. That's the conversation is going to develop without me. But my friend Heather Radke, um, actually like right around the same time published a book called butts, a backstory and the cover is a gigantic graphic orange peach and forgive me if this is even being crude, but this is like a wonderful book that you can read and check out. And I've also, I haven't had a chance to check it out. She also tells me that I'm in this book um, as like a character, as like the dreamy singer songwriter or something like that. So I need to, I need to read this book. So I think peaches are coming. The, the use of peach metaphors is, is widening without ignoring the like crude side of it. I that makes we, sense. I think we have that book in this library. I'm going to go check for it right now. Oh my gosh. And I, and as I wrap up, here's my little metaphor that I'm sure has come to your head uh, in all your research so far, but it's that there's something about the peach uh, being, um, at least if it's ripe, it's soft and it's got a soft skin, but it has yes. the, the hard stone pit. Exactly. So that's like, we're all weary on the surface, perhaps, but the pit is like our resolve, like the un, the unbreakableness of us. Yes, absolutely. And, or, you know, in a core, you know, and there's other metaphors that I think, yeah, the, like the pith. Yeah. Um, there's also like a little bit of a environmental lean to the interest in peaches, too, because part of me will wave the flag of like, you know, isn't it amazing? Yeah. That a tree, a honeybee will visit it. And then you get a... If you get a peach out of it, I've got two peach trees in my backyard that I planted years ago. And for the first time ever, they've got little baby peaches on them right now. Wonderful. It's like, isn't that amazing? And the fact that we don't respect that, I wanted to like sort of wave that flag too of like, hey, you know, if you don't pay close attention, all these things that we really loved and enjoy and that it every, you know, embody summer and embody, you know, like rare moments of ripeness in your life, all these all these metaphors that we're using, they're real things. And if we don't take care of the environment or bees or the world, really, they might not be around, you know, or they'll be diminished or. Impermanence. The impermanence. Yes. If you've picked up any, if you picked up anything in your 20 year odyssey as a songwriter and all your travels, it's that nothing is permanent. So that's right. That's right. Chris, we are, as I said, I'll repeat it again. We're so jazzed that you're going to be here. I am I am located in the building where I can actually point to where you're going to be. So I'm really excited. Oh, wonderful. Uh, and uh, folks, you're hearing this with enough time to mark your calendars for July 18th. Chris Bathgate and Graham and Samantha are going to be here. And I'm uh, so thrilled for that. And we'll have links in the show notes so folks can find more information, especially about significance of peaches. 
Chris, thanks for joining me and hang oh, out. It's wonderful to be here. Great to hear your voice. <laughs> Great to hear your voice. And thanks for letting me hang out with you uh, in your garage from a distance. <laughs> uh, folks at home, you've listened to another episode of A Little Too Quiet. It's the Ferndale Library podcast, and it's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. The music you hear at the beginning and end of each episode is by a local musician. His name is John Duffy. Remember to rate, review, subscribe. And if you leave a positive review, it'll help us find more listeners. Tune in next week. We'll be back for more, and we'll see you on July 18th. 